Welcome to Rising Tide Startups, where we chat with startup founders just like you from all over the globe. Each episode, we bring you practical and actionable tips to help you escape the cubicle and begin your own startup journey. Make sure you take notes. Take it away, Kevin. Here's a quick word from our sponsor, Podbrand Media. As a business owner, new sales leads are essential. At Podbrand Media, we create a branded podcast for you to generate those leads by interviewing your best potential clients as subject matter experts. Not only creating great rapport, but also great content to share in your industry. Affordable and effective. Contact us today at podbrandmedia.com to learn more. We are back. My special guest today is Mateus Rialfi. Mateus, thanks for joining us on Rising Tide. Hi, Kevin. Thank you so much for having me. So it's good to chat. Actually, we uh, had a chance to chat on another podcast about three days ago, and um, and I am I am really uh, dominating his time this week, and he's been very gracious to uh, to carve out more than one spot. So I'm I'm really anxious to get get rolling and really just give you a chance to kind of share your story about about Tent AI. But before we get started, tell our audience a little bit about yourself. Sure. And again, thank thanks for having me. It's been definitely uh, highlights of my of my week uh, so far. And uh, yeah, I'm born and raised in Brazil. Um, lived there uh, for 27 years and moved to the U.S. Uh, to go to business school because I wanted to start global businesses, and I thought that here uh, would be you know by far the best place to do that. And and I wanted to work with technology, so the coming to Silicon Valley was a natural next step to me. So I came here, moved here after graduation, joined an early stage startup at the time called Turo. They do PHP or car sharing. It's a multi-billion dollar company today. And I was lucky to be one of the first you know, 20 employees or so of the company. And stayed there for four years. When I left, there were over 400 of us. And I left to start Tint. And I know we're going to talk about Tint, but it was an opportunity that we saw as we were working at Turo. And then inspire us to start uh, my my our own business with my co-founder, who was also a Turo uh, colleague at the time. So, how long would you say from the time you finished university to the time you actually started Tint? How long from university, college to starting Tint? I would say eight years, give or take. And how many of that was was actually? you were at Toro. How many, how many of those eight years were you actually at Toro? Four. So you're there four years. So you really were, and you kind of went from an employee to CEO, like overnight or employee, at least a co-founder overnight. So yeah. tell us, walk, walk us through that transition. Like you go to bed one night, you're working for Toro. The next day you get up and you're like, uh-oh, what have I done? <laughs> yes. I think that it is definitely scary, and that's why you now making the leap. It's one of the, I mean, biggest decisions the founders make, and then it's one that like a lot of smart people who could be founders never do, because you know, it's very hard to um, get away from the security you have in your job, or, you know, somewhat. Now, Turo was a startup, it was fast moving. There was no certainty and risk as as all the things, but. The company was already at a certain scale. Mm -hmm. And now you, I can argue if you go with a larger company, you get even more security. But anyway, so it is a scary time. For me, I think it, at the beginning, is not as clear because you're still kind of excited working at a project. I honestly started to feel more the difference like now when we are at a stage where we have you know, 
40 some people on the team and they were growing fast to raise a lot of money. I think the 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 responsibility is a lot um a lot bigger. I think in the early days it's like three people in the room jamming, trying to like move as fast as they can. It feels a lot lighter. You don't feel the weight of the um kind of CEO job nearly as much as as right now, for example. So, you know, we talked about uh, on the other podcast, we talked a little bit about kind of the nuts and bolts around tent, but let's let's just kind of hit the highlights. Describe the product itself, describe the company and maybe what what was the the need you were trying to to fill with with tent. Yeah, so as I mentioned, the, the inception of the idea was we were a Turo. So Turo had to invent its own insurance category to exist. Uh, so every time you rent a car at Turo, it comes with insurance. And it had different, Turo has to do a lot of things behind the scenes. And we were working on that, my co-founder and I, and then we saw two things. First, how hard it was for Turo to actually do that behind the scenes and provide a great customer to this, uh, customer product, uh, customer experience to, to their users. But we also saw how big the opportunity was because we looked around, there were many companies like Airbnb, Uber, Flexport, Tesla, Apple, all creating some shape or form of their own protection products. Mm -hmm. And that was a little bit the inception of Tint. We create, we, we got out to start a company we wish we could use when we were yeah. at Turo, which I think is a, it's a very important, I'd say, thing for founders to think about, right? And so what Tint does is that it really helps any company create their own protection product. So think about Airbnb, there's air cover, which means you know, there's insurance protection if the apartment catch fire while you're staying there, if your kids break the TV, whatever it happens, Airbnb put together protection product. There's a feature of their core kind of apartment or house rental um, experience, and it works seamlessly for users. So that's the kind of experience that we want to power for any company out there. Is it, uh, you know, insurance is broken up into so many different like lines, like, you know, you've got health, you've got a car, you've got home, you've got yeah. liability, you've got medical, you've got all kind of health insurance. So are there any lines that you wouldn't create a product for? Yeah, so you're absolutely right that the complexity is, is very, very high. So we typically focus more on property and casualty. So mm -hmm. anything that's related to damage to things to like properties right? and we do shipping, we do some sort of kind of some car sharing protection, home sharing. So a lot around damages, mm -hmm. things getting broken. We don't do anything related to health and, and life. Um, we do a few things related to, you know, big, big liabilities, but it's typically more kind of on the damage um, side. So if, if, uh, if people just wanted to go out and they want to start a, like their own moving company and you know they were just moving stuff on the weekends just for you know to earn extra money kind of as a side gig is that all, is that a, something that you could also potentially provide coverage for or are you talking about you need you need enough scale you know through say a company like a franchise or something like that that would to provide breadth yeah we typically work with um companies that are you know venture backed series b and further um, because I think, you know, it requires a certain critical mass for those programs mm -hmm. to be impactful on those companies. That said, we do have, you know, few customers that started with us when they were very small and they're growing with us. Mm -hmm. So long way of saying, yeah, the one person moving, probably not a good fit. 
But if it's in a fast growth marketplace that has thousands of people moving uh, things around, they could be a great fit for us. Yeah. So, for example, we have one of our customers called Seats and Sheeper, and they do almost what you described, but instead of moving things, they're moving pets. So if you buy a dog, say in Boston, and you want to get it to New York from a breeder, and somebody's driving from Boston to New York already, they can bring this dog with them. And then it's almost like a gig economy for, for dog transportation. And we provide the protection that they offer if anything were to go wrong. Um, right. This yeah, that I mean, and, and inherently in insurance, you want to spread the risk. You know, that's the, the whole idea, have a, have a critical mass of being able to kind of spread that out. But is there is there a sweet spot? I mean, you kind of mentioned it a little just a second ago, so you almost answered the question before I ask it. But is there a, is there a size of company that's too big for this? Is there a size of company that's too small for this? Yeah, so we typically below Series B, it tends to be small, um, and you know we the largest customers we have are they're not public yet, and they're already multi billion dollar mm. private companies. So. I think there is probably not an answer for too big. I think we could, in theory, work with any size, and then too small is probably below Series B. Although, as a founder, as you can imagine, I have uh, I'm partial towards other founders and helping them. So we yeah. always think hard about how can we make our service more streamlined, so eventually any founder anywhere in the world could use us. So. When exactly was was Tent started? What year? 2018. And so from 2018 till now, we've had at least two years of COVID, you know, in that four or five year period. So walk us through kind of the growth pattern. Were there, were there kind of, you know, was it a little bit of a roller coaster scale or did you pretty well see a kind of that upward light, right, right hockey stick, you know, growth? I think it was for us, it has been a hockey stick, but it definitely took um, longer than we expected as, as a founder. So we started in 2018. We started to see the hockey stick in the end of 2020. Mm -hmm. So for pretty much two and a half, I would say, years of this time, um, we um, we were still like, like looking for the product, looking for the angle. We had customers, had revenue. But we're not really able to sell more to make as much progress as we'd like. And, you know, as founders, um, a lot of our job is to keep exploring, keep trying, and you know, keep believing, I would say. And then eventually we found an angle that you know, really worked. And from there, things um, took off. But, you no, know, it, 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 was, it was longer time than we would have expected, I would say. So did, did uh, were there other players in this market or did you kind of have first mover advantage and and maybe had to overcome a learning curve early that, to talk to companies say, hey, this is actually the product we're building and, and I've, I've got to educate you on it before you actually buy it type thing? Yeah, so it, say for the product itself, the broad category, no, we were not the first ones. As I mentioned, like, you know, we were building the same products for two rows, like, few, I don't know, eight years ago, right? Mm -hmm. So in that, that sense, was more internal, right? That, that it was, was like internal, internal, but like yeah. we didn't create the concept. This as a service, if you will, like there were already a few companies starting to to play around with this concept. I would say the how we deliver it's you know, very different. So mm -hmm. we still have to do a lot of education on the how and why we're different from those folks. 
but I would say like, yeah, we, we didn't have to, oh, the market's so early stage, I would say all of us are still educating the, the, the market for the cost, potential customers on the benefits. Yeah. Yeah. That is, so is your approach, um, so different that you don't necessarily have to compete on price or are companies still very price conscious when they're talking about, you know, this embedded, you know, coverage or embedded feature of their product? Yeah, we what we're seeing is that the customers the, the, they are less concerned about price than we expected. So if the company is ready and they have made a decision of okay, monetizing protection products or other fintech products is important to us, they are less cost conscious. Mm-hmm. Um, we did some experiments, like sometimes removing some of our fees and see that could move conversion faster, and, and it doesn't. Or at least didn't for for us not at not at that time. Right, yeah. That's that is that is such a an interesting story of uh, and and uh, and I think it repeats itself over and over again where people have you know they're working in a company they start working on a feature or a product you know kind of that almost an entrepreneur you know instead of an entrepreneur because you you are in, embedded in a company and then it grows so much that you know you kind of step outside of that but. Was there was there any IP battle when you walked out of Turo that said Turo goes wait a minute you built this while you were here? So the short answer is no because at the end of the day, like you know, the technology we're building, everything was what we wish we had at, at Turo. Right? So it was not exactly rolling out the same things. Like Turo built a peer to peer car sharing uh, protection solution, and we. Um, we were building like in a scalable infrastructure that can work for in use case. Okay, have a one customer that does PHP car sharing, but other than that, all our customers come from different um, use cases. And it just should like we always tried in the early days to close to us one of our customers, and we couldn't because they were already somewhat advanced in in the things that we helped them build. But now the CEO of Turo, who is still a friend and a mentor was one of our first angel investors. So it just shows how we always had the support from day one. And you know, it's not their it's not their, you know, key bread and butter either. You're not you're not competing with them about a, a ride sharing, you know, platform. So there is there's certainly a it that is this is kind of a secondary thing in their mind anyway. But so I don't I don't know if I asked you this uh, when we talked earlier this week, but um, I'm always curious when I talk to to entrepreneurs and and the way you described in your intro today, um, I think I know the answer to this, you know, what you're going to answer, but I, I don't want to put words in your mouth. But do you believe that most founders um, are genetically like this? They have a genetic disposition to be a founder. Is there is it in their DNA or? Yeah, it's kind of nature versus nurture, you know, that were you born with this or did you kind of grow into it? It's a very good and a good question. I would say probably hard answer. I would say they don't, they're not born. I think anybody can be a founder. I think it's just a matter of, you know, do you find something you care about? Do you find a cause you're really passionate about? Do you have the skills, I meaning you know, have you worked in the similar fields and um, management skills, things like that? I do think like, you know, in my case, like I was one of those kids, like the lemonade stand type kid that would have those things, passions for business since very early 
years in my life and I knew that's where I wanted to be. But I do know a lot of successful founders that are not like that mm -hmm. at all. They just saw an, an opportunity, they jumped, they execute well. So yeah, I do not think there's a genetic predisposition in any way. So it's I one of my theories about this says that the ones that would say yes, there is kind of a you know kind of it's based on nature. You know, there is a there's a genetic disposition. I was born this way. They they also tend to start multiple things. You know, they get something started. They may be there for a little while, then they get bored. They kind of pass it off. They sell. They exit. However, however that works, then they go on to something else. It sounds like to me you're a little more you're a little more invested in seeing this through. You know, you're you really do. You don't don't get up in the morning thinking about what can I start next. I mean, you you really are all in. I think yes, absolutely. Because you no, know, in our case, the, the the reason why I you know you remember they wake up in the morning and work so hard is because I strongly believe in the future we're building a future where you know, insurance products in general will be a feature that comes with other products and services people love, and not a product in itself. And it is a very hard, like it's a very nice world, and it's a one that is hard to build, and it's gonna take time. Mm -hmm. So by definition, like, you know, I'm spending all this time because I believe the world will be better with with that. I got to be patient. It's going to take, you know, many years to do it. Now, after we get there, then you know, after 20 years or how long it's, it may take, I will probably think about like, should I continue? Should I go to the next one? Then I think it would be a different conversation. Yeah. But you know, yeah, I believe that we're, we're, we're changing a $2 trillion industry. That takes a lot of energy, effort to do it. And that's that's personally what gets me excited. It's not just the starting something new, but it's the what we are we're doing and the why we're doing. Mm. Yeah, I and I think that, you know, even those that I think are would say they were born with this kind of genetic disposition to to start things, I think they they obviously want to see it succeed, whatever they're they're invested in, but they're also you know, there's also another gear spinning in the back of their mind. That's that's what's next. What's this next thing? And no, absolutely. And it's the same for for me, right? So I like to say, you no, know, I, I can't control. Every time I see something, it becomes it comes with startup ideas all the time. I have a catalog <laughs> where I keep track of them, and then eventually we'll get to them at some other point in my life. But I just saying that, like, it is. I think if you like, you know, it's in case of tent, right? Like we've been on this journey for five years and we're really far from, from done. So it is also kind of important for founders as they were making this commitment that they are okay that you know, it might take 10, 15, mm -hmm. 20 years of their life to really work on. And and it's okay. Some founders, like Naturo is a good example. The founder wasn't the one who scaled the company. He stayed with the company for the first, I'd say, if I know correctly, three, four years. But at some point, for many reasons, um, it did not make sense for him to scale the business. Yeah. So, and then he went and he created others, uh, other business after that. Um, so I think it's important that the founder know where she or he stands in this and then goes and plan around that, right? Mm -hmm. Because you want to make sure that the business is successful regardless of the choice you make. And, you know, sometimes, I mean, the, the idea generator is the one that, you know, becomes the, like the de facto CEO. And I mean, quickly a company can outgrow that, 
that individual, you know, and their and their ability to scale a company, you know, for sure. And maybe somebody else needs to step in and and do that. But I um I'm curious to uh, to ask like when you made the transition from employee to to leading a company, were you one that said I've got to go learn as much as I possibly can? I got to read every book. I got to talk to people. I got to have mentors. I got to have this. Or were you more like, you know, actually leading a company comes down to just treating people like I wanted to be treated as an employee and this cast vision, you know, lead well. So which, which, where did, where you fall in that, in that spectrum? Um, more, I would say closer to the first case you mentioned. So I think I could definitely, I, I didn't know much about different kinds of insurance, for example, right? We have seen car sharing type of insurance and knew that very well, but not as much the other one. So I went out and like did a quasi masters in insurance and risk management to learn the tricks. We yep. you know, talked to a lot of founders, attended many conferences. So I always, I believe in, I'm a strongly believer of the idea of you know, beginner's mind, like you no know, coming with something with a fresh mind, but being able to learn as fast as you can to get your baseline when you can actually make difference. And that's typically how I approach problems. And part of this maybe is my background. Um, my first job after college as a management consultant, mm -hmm. where we you would jump in the first day in a client, you probably knew nothing about the industry. And in three months, you had to deliver a very strategic, smart presentation to the CEO of that company who has been in business for probably 20 years. And then yeah. you got to go from zero to that in three months. So I trained myself in this very compressed kind of learning cycles. So I'll probably more on the first case, although I understand that people, of course, part is also important. Well, nothing's wasted. I mean, every experience you've had, everything, every opportunity you've had up to this point, you can, you can certainly bring to bear on this task you've got ahead of you. But are, what do you see? Uh, what do you see tent in the next eighteen to twenty-four months? So we should definitely continue our growth trajectory, and you know, keep you know, multiplying the business uh, year over year. Um, again, this is a trillion-dollar industry. If you think about Lloyd's of London, who it's a it's a benchmark that we use, um, they have a fifty billion dollars a year in transaction volume in premium. So for us, like, yeah, we got to grow many times the size we are today to get to close to those levels. So I believe in very fast growth trajectory um, the next two years or so. And I mean, I've also heard your vision that you're not only disrupting like the the, the embedded sharing economy, you know, but you're in, you want to disrupt insurance as a whole. And you think that it's moving kind of in the direction that you're you're wanting to take tent. What does it look like to, you know, kind of prognosticate about the insurance industry five, 10 years from now? How will it have changed in your mind? Yeah, we, we think what we're living through now, this embedded insurance um, revolution is the biggest transformation since insurance was created. Because the idea that now the insurance protection is available when you need through the brands and products and services you use, completely changes the value chain. Like, no, you think about we had, you know, in the past agents, insurance companies, insurers, so like a multi-step value chain to basically 
allow companies to transfer the risk they had to the market. Um, within Bada, their logic changes. Now the company now becomes the center of the show. I think about Airbnb and AirCover. Airbnb is the most important player. Airbnb owns the relationship with the customer, owns the data. And by the way, Airbnb already acquired the customer. So selling insurance is virtually free for them. There's no acquisition yeah. cost. Right. So if you, if you start with that logic, start that there's an Airbnb product, how the insurance becomes a feature, you really change how the insurance industry works and who are the players, what each of them are doing. And we see ourselves right in the operating system that is going to allow all of this um, to work. So if we think in 10, if you believe in that logic in 10 years, um, a significant part of the industry, it's no longer going to be a standalone product. It's going to come with something. And then that's a huge transformation. I I could not agree more. And I, I think you are certainly headed in the right direction. It's, it is uh, it is an industry that has somewhat been stagnant, you know, since almost since inception. I mean, it's it the delivery methods methods have changed. The, you know, the processes have changed for sure. But it's it looks very much like, you know, Lloyd's of London when it first started covering ships. You know, back in you know five six hundred years ago. So, and it's absolutely the case. What is interesting is even within the embedded insurance, which is already a disruptive or innovative uh, niche, I would say, of insurance. Most of the companies are going after. Ex delivering existing insurance products via embedded, right? Via mm -hmm. other companies. Like they're not really changing the nature of the product. They're not really rethinking what is the coverages? What is the pricing? Like who is taking the risk or like the basics? And we are. So in a sense, like, you know, it's obviously is a huge uh, challenge ahead of us, but that's what gets us excited. Uh, and going back to your question about would I jump to the next idea? Like, absolutely not until we can actually have, do what we're doing at scale and kind of prove to ourselves that like, you know, it, this, this future we want to build, it is a possible one and we're building. You know, there's, there's one thing that's to be, you know, wake up every day and say, you know, I'm the, I'm the CEO, I'm the founder of the company. I'm the, you know, president, I'm the executive director, I'm whatever I'm, I'm leading this group of people. There's a, it's a whole different animal to walk in there every day and believe in what you're doing so much that it just kind of oozes out of you, you know, when you're, when you're sharing with your team. I mean, you can't fake that, you know, they can see that. And I know your team probably benefits from that every day to kind of see this, this hunger that you have and this vision that is so clear in your mind you know, that, that you can see it, you can taste it. You know, it's just a matter of you're, you're saying, okay, come on, let's go. This is, this is where we're going. This is how we're going to get there. You know, it, it's, I'm, they've got to be responding to this. Yeah. And that's why I personally believe that, you know, founders should choose the problems that they really care about or the, the futures they really care about seeing uh, before they get started, because to your point, um, it's hard to fake that, right? Mm -hmm. So if you don't care, it's going to be hard to convey that confidence to your team, to your investors, to, and, 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 and it's frankly, it's going to be hard to keep going when things get tough. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Or you have distractions or, you know, and sometimes good distractions, right? If you, somebody wants to hire you for a lot of money or like, mm, would I, or buy you for the matter, right? Like mm -hmm. your company is being successful. Um, 
and then you know it's that's why it's important to really believe uh which would i agree with you like as a, a job you have less of that kind of requirement of course it's, everybody wants to work in something that they believe in by the mission but it's not as fundamental as you know the founders to believing yeah yeah i i absolutely agree absolutely agree and it's as we uh, wrap up today, I've, I've just got a couple of questions at the end that I, I would love to hear your thoughts on. Just the, uh, the really the idea as we're talking to people that, you know, regardless of what industry, if they're sitting in a cubicle wanting to start something, if they're just getting started in leading something or, or creating a company, what are one or two really, I think, salient points, really key points that you wish you would have known when you started leading Tent? That you think would would be a real game changer today what are what are one or two lessons that you've learned along the way that are really key um i think there maybe i'll say two one is a lesson and one is more like a confirmation which mm -hmm. i think is also very important um i think the lesson is that um like there be careful about growing too fast I think in in terms of you know the team, in terms of your customers, and I think you know it's, of course growth, um, it's always important, and as they say, growth trumps everything. So I'm still in favor of growing fast, but it's almost like plan for fast growth. I think mm -hmm. yeah. in our case, for good reasons, things end up being faster than we expected in, uh, in a certain way. So we grew, you know, we kind of had to catch up in some of the demand and things so um be be you know aware of like you know how how fast you want to grow and plan for whatever the choice you you make so i think that was the lesson side on the confirmation i think something i'll say i knew but it it has proven to be mission critical and we i think we touch about this tangentially is grit is the most important thing that the founder would have because you know, it's going to take longer than you expect. It's going to be a lot harder. And the thing that is in between failure and success is going to be your ability to keep going. And I always thought that was just a little bit of a, it is mission critical. Mm. So if you, if the, like, if the founders don't have that, don't, are not passionate about what they're doing, they don't, they're not prepared, you know, financially, emotionally um, to just keep going, then it'll make life a lot harder. So one of your first questions was about how was the trajectory for us? And I said, it was, well, it's a hockey stick, but we're a longer beginning of the hockey stick than we thought. I'll say many founders would have quit, right? Like mm -hmm. taking two and a half years to start seeing the traction they were hoping the first month. Um, but I think, you know, that is the, the flip side of this is like, if you have that, you just never going to stop. It's a little bit of the Paul Graham from YC be a cockroach like impossible to kill it's very true if you're impossible to kill by definition you're never gonna die so mm. it is you're gonna just keep going and i underestimated how much this makes a difference and you know it's people say it's the number one factor that explain the difference between successful and non-successful founders is not their intelligence or their knowledge of the market or anything it's like pure grit just keep going through adversity Okay, see, you said something now. I've got to ask another question. So how do you know when it's time to pivot? 
like I, I can chase something the rest of my life. And if it's the wrong thing, if it's not product market fit, if it's not good timing, if it's just a bad idea, I can be as gritty as, as grit can be and still fail. Or I can, you know, just hit something right at the right time and everything works. But it sounded like to me that, and I think you've got a perfect example. Was there, were there points in that first year and a half or whatever that you're thinking, is this really going to work? Or did you know coming out of Turo enough to know that it's just going to take time? Uh, we know it's going to work. We know that there's a need there. You know, what was the, what was the reality? So of, of course, like it, it's maybe it's going to change by situation, but in our case, like we did change direction. We were always within the same high level vision, mm -hmm. but we changed our approach a few times. And I think, how do we know? To me, it's like simple. We went out, we we're trying to sell and you wouldn't sell, right? You would have conversations with very smart people because we're lucky to have access to a good network and nobody would have a second meeting with you. Investors, potential customers, advisors, and suddenly things changed. And it was the opposite, right? It's just like, after two minutes, people are like, can I invest? Or they're like, sure, it doesn't make sense to me. So like, I, I wish I had a very scientific answer other than you got to feel it. Mm -hmm. But I think the point of grit to me, it's not about always going the same direction. It's just knowing that because you won't stop, you give yourself many shots on target until mm -hmm. you can actually hit right as because think about in our case suppose we try two different angles we're eight months in things are not working a lot of people who have say well that's not for me doesn't work we're wrong let's get our jobs back or another jobs and call it a day yeah we haven't right we kept going i think maybe on the third and the fourth iteration of our product that's when it clicked um so yeah so i wouldn't confuse grit with like I think you still have to be agile and make changes. What a what a way to wrap us up today! I I love the way you kind of reframed that in in such a a comprehensive and and holistic way of looking at things. That you know, it's not just it's not just you know putting your head down and just grinding through. It's grinding through with some wisdom and some intuition and some you know responsiveness. You know, for being responsive to feedback and you know, what's the market telling you, but. What a uh, what a great chat today! Thank you for taking time. It's always a pleasure to uh, connect with you, and and just I really loved hearing your story today, and and uh, greatly appreciate you sharing your insights and really just doing your part and playing your part in helping all boats rise in a rising tide. Mateus, have a great weekend. Thank you so much, Kevin. Uh, really enjoyed our conversation. Have a great weekend as well. We hope you heard some great takeaways. Make sure you follow up with our guests today and show them the support they deserve. As always, thank you for listening and playing your part in helping all boats rise in a rising tide.